particularly when you're talking about routines and ruts, I think we're kind of battling with both of those things every day more than ever right now. (laughs) Um, Everyone's having trouble thinking straight right now. And we're all trying to hang on to routines when we actually need to realise that we need new ones and to be really gentle with ourselves in the process of trying to establish that. Welcome to Routines and Ruts, the podcast sharing conversations about the daily rhythms and inevitable stumbles in our creative lives. I'm your host, Madeline Daw, a freelance writer and person who's very much fumbling my way through the creative process too. I run an interview project called Extraordinary Routines, where I also conduct life experiments and write about the highs and lows of creative life. This podcast delves further into the blocks we encounter along the way, and my generous guests talk about the days that they find flow and the days that go completely off track. They open up about things like resilience and rejection, success and setbacks, and how extraordinary lessons can be found amongst it all. Before I introduce this week's lovely guest, I'm delighted to share that this podcast now has its very own newsletter. It's called A Routines and Ruts Companion. It's a paid weekly newsletter filled with exclusive transcripts, an advice column from yours truly, show notes, inspiring quotes, and occasional musings, follow-along life experiments, book reviews, and so much more. Not only is this designed to be a companion to this very podcast and my other personal projects, but it's also a companion to you, your personal projects, your creativity, your routine, and your ruts. We all wobble, we all flounder, we all face setbacks and rejection, we all wonder if we're doing it right. So it's important to find the right companions, and that might be in other people, it could be in the books we read, it could be in podcasts, it could be in our reflections and learnings from others. So I wanted to create an additional project to do just that. A Routines and Ruts Companion will be launching on the 1st of May, and to celebrate, if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off. So that's $5 US a month instead of $10 a month. I'll pop a link in the show notes if you're interested in going further behind the scenes. And you'll also help me to continue to produce quality projects like this very podcast. When making this podcast or starting any new project like The Companion, often a question that continues to come up again and again for me, is what is enough? What is enough to offer? What is enough to make it sustainable? What is enough to get started? What is enough to feel like it's ready? And what I've learned is that there's never really a clear answer to this idea of enough. Just as done is better than perfect, maybe sufficient is better than enough. As Brené Brown describes it, Sufficiency isn't two steps up from poverty or one step short of abundance. It isn't a measure of barely enough or more than enough. Sufficiency isn't an amount at all. It is an experience, a context we generate, a declaration, and knowing that there is enough and that we are enough. For this week's guest, this knowing we are enough, irrespective of what we do, permeates everything she does. Kylie Lewis is a coach, consultant, and certified dare to lead and certified daring way facilitator, which is based on the research of Brene Brown. Her interview series turned book, 
the Leap Stories, explored how there's no single path to success, no formulaic way to conjure the courage to take a first step or the next step towards fulfilling work. So Kylie has so much to share about the ups and downs of our careers and our days. In this conversation, we talk about navigating our routines imperfectly and how it's normal to have horizontal days, taking it one moment at a time, developing self-compassion, stepping into this collective vulnerability that we're experiencing, but also how to set boundaries during this time and sort of quieten things like comparison and ultimately aiming for enough. We started this conversation right on 11.11, and to honour how our energy and mood can change moment by moment, here's Kylie Lewis on how she is in this minute. In this minute, I'm feeling very jumbled, actually, I must say. It doesn't feel like I've got a firm grasp on anything right now, and it's just a kind of moment by moment, blow by blow, what's happening right now, just pay attention for the next half an hour, let's get through that. What does that look like today? Yes, I think we're all feeling that in such a hyper aware state it's it's forced presence in many ways isn't it oh yeah I mean you you can't kind of look away because it's important for us to be paying attention to what's going on and the changes that are happening and you know and then translating that into well what does that mean for me right now in this moment and for my loved ones and for my business and for my community what does that look like right now and it's the real tension between being engaged being aware keeping a lookout on the horizon and being able to be centred and calm in the midst of it all. And there's, I would assume, no clear answer to that, but how are you personally navigating that? I think the answer is imperfectly. Yes. <laughs> um, it, it, we really are all just doing the best that we can in a, you know, a pretty profoundly, you know, d- disturbing in some ways and, um, you know, disturbing kind of opportunity that this has been presented to us it's disruptive and so there's no one right way as you said to 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 deal with this and I think I'm still just figuring it out I'm sort of you know going okay today this is what's on the agenda how am I feeling what do my kids need what does my husband need what do I need in the midst of all of that what does my business need what's the priority for today Um, and maybe for the next two days and that's kind of about it and really just monitoring my energy levels in the middle of all of that I'm you know I'm finding that if I've got set plans and you know I'm I know that I'm going to be interacting with somebody and I've got I've got an appointment I tend to have better energy Um, and days and then there are days where like yesterday I actually just had a, a day on the couch I was just I was tired and I was cold and I just surrendered to it I just thought you know today is just going to be one of those days sit on the couch under a blanket with a you know with my with my heat bag and a cup of tea and a piece of dark chocolate and and just go with it and you know and I did and then by the end of the day I actually you know it's funny how these things work out but by the end of the day I then had like this creative surge it was like taking notice of how I was feeling and saying that that's okay and this this is you know there's going to be times like this gives yourself permission to then get the recovery and the rest um, and the perspective you need to be able to come back and and find a little bit of juice somewhere in the day Mm, exactly and I think sometimes we can place so much emphasis on following a routine but then days like that happen and then we don't need that 
extra added layer of guilt for not following a routine that might have been too stringent in the first place. I'm trying to find more of a rhythm and I think I had a very similar day yesterday where I called it a horizontal day and allowing myself to have a horizontal day yesterday just allowed for that to sort of just be part of the rhythm where now I can kind of have more of a vertical day. Like I've gone for a run this morning, I'm talking with you, I'm upright, but I'm energized because I allowed myself to rest yesterday. So I'm wondering just overall, like what's been your relationship with routine before you've had to make completely new routines? Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who's sort of in their own business, it's both the blessing and the curse of of um, of being self employed. You know, you you know when you when you first get into your own business, like oh, I can actually not have the routine that's been forced upon me or expected upon me um, from all these you know societal expectations. I get to set my own routine, but you realise actually you need some routine, and that having routine actually sets you free. So. You know, I, I, my routines changed over the time that I've been in my own business. Um, you know, when my kids were, were smaller and I had more kind of responsibilities with them, I would have certain routines during the week where certain days would be for this kind of work and certain days would be for this kind of work. And, and then Fridays would always be my kind of catch up day and do all the things for me day. Um, and then have a Saturday afternoon was all my was always my ritual nap day. <laughs> so, um, and I still hold that one. As my business has changed, and I think last year I pretty much relaunched my business with uh, with a, with a, some new programs and took me away from a sort of a steady routine because I was traveling quite a lot. And so that kind of really throws you out. I think what I try to think about is where I've got periods of intense, work like where I'm facilitating a two-day workshop and I might be traveling interstate to have to do that um, I always try and put in recovery days after that so you know as soon as I get back home it's like okay now this is the light and the load time this is the time where you do have a horizontal <laughs> day um, to, to kind of get back to be able to get you back on your feet vertically the, the day after so my you know my daily routine which I try to have when I'm actually at home for a decent stretch is, you know, to get up in the morning, to not think about too many things and just get straight to my hot Pilates yoga studio by 6am and do do a class and then go across the road and have a, a, a pot of chai at this cafe that I really love um, sit down, have a look through the news, you know, give myself permission to have a look at social media and, you know, hopefully I'm putting out a post, not just consuming everything as well and being, you know, productive and, you know, posting something as well. Um, and then that's sort of the real setup for my day. And it depends on whether I'm traveling interstate or whether I've got a workshop locally or um, whether I'm needing to do proposals, that kind of thing. So it sort of really depends. I think getting back to your point about horizontal days, the, the self-compassion that we need um, to give ourselves and to really cultivate is the thing that's critically important for us as human beings, as leaders, as business owners, as partners, as parents, as just just as human beings, that self-compassion to recognize that we need to be able to be kind to ourselves, particularly when things are hard. Um, we need to recognize that all these difficulties that we're also facing and the things that we're feeling are common to being a human being. It's not just us who are feeling these things. And to recognize that there's no right or wrong way. It's just what is right now and just paying attention to that. Mm. So, yeah, I, so when, when things feel a bit topsy-turvy or I don't feel like I'm being as 
productive mm. as what I should I try to I, that, that's what I try to come back to and just say you know it's actually okay um, you can get back on track you've had these times before um, you can work through this do what you need to do now you know tomorrow's another day yes yes it's definitely um, so important to remember to be a friend to ourselves I was wondering because you're a certified Brené Brown dare to lead facilitator and I think a lot of people would be familiar with her work around vulnerability. Given that you've just sort of spoken so wonderfully about self-compassion, what is the link there between vulnerability and self-compassion? So Brene defines vulnerability as risk, uncertainty and emotional exposure. And what we're all experiencing right now is collective vulnerability. We are all feeling you know, uncertain about what's happening, you know, even in the next hour in some instances, we're feeling at risk, like, you know, the, the risks are kind of real. They might be more more real for some than others. Um, and it's emotionally exposing. You know, we, we, we're in these kind of unprecedented times and for some of us that might really trigger our anxiety. Um, it might throw us into really dark places. You know, we might be experiencing kind of emotions that we haven't tapped into or identified or felt for a long time and often what we try to do to to avoid that feeling of vulnerability we push it away we try and to deny we try to deny it we try and you know armor ourselves up by becoming more kind of impenetrable or we deny what's going on or we get angry um, you know, there are lots of ways that we can kind of armour up to push or push away these really uncomfortable feelings of uncertainty, um, risk and emotional exposure. And, you know, our, our, our response to armour up and push that away keeps us from then being able to connect with others and with actually what really is going on with ourselves. So vulnerability is often seen culturally as a sign of weakness. You know, we think of vulnerability as something that... Um, is to be avoided. There are two paradoxes with vulnerability. The first one is that when I meet you for the very first time, it's the first thing I look for in you, but it's the last thing I want you to see in me because, you know, I'm looking for, for a way in. And vulnerability can look like strength in you but feels like weakness in me. So, you know, what came out of Brene's research was that vulnerability was actually our most accurate measure of courage. So for, for those of us who um, are able to tolerate those feelings of uncertainty, risk and emotional exposure, um, that, that, that's what bravery is. That's at the end of the day, there is there is no courage without vulnerability. Um, we have to be able to recognise that um, brave is uncomfortable. Mm. And often the, you know, often the kind of misconception is that, oh, you know, when, when we get confident with something, then I'll, you know, then I can do something brave. But bravery exists in the uncomfortable. It doesn't exist in the confidence. Um, and in fact, the only way to really build your confidence is to, is to actually be able to do things that feel uncomfortable mm. and have the self-compassion to say, you know, it may work, it may not work, but where I want to be is actually in the trying and the learning and the growing and just, you know, giving it a crack. Because if I sit on the sidelines the whole time, I'm never going to know. And, you know, one of the pieces of Brene's work is that 
um, you know, she talks about this metaphor of being in the arena, of actually getting into the arena, and that's any moment in our life where there's vulnerability, where there's risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. And some days we will be brave enough to show up and have that conversation, to express the truth, to ask that question, to pitch that idea, to put your work out into the world. Sometimes when you do that, it will it will go well, and it might even go better than you expect. And then other days, it's not. You know, and you're going to end up face down on the arena. And what what the skills of daring leadership looks like is being able to get back up and go again rather mm-hmm. than staying down on the floor. And the only way that you can get back up is to develop the self-compassion to say, you tried, you gave it a shot, you learned something in the process, um, now get back up and let's go at it again. And, mm. you know, you don't have to do that alone either. You can have people, you know, she talks about having people in your empathy seats in the arena and in your support section in the arena. Um, so you don't have to do that alone. But in my experience, um, strong leaders do have a, song, a strong sense of talking to themselves like someone they love, you know, the same kind of kindness that they would extend to their loved ones or their children or their best friends um, when they are in struggle. They are, they are able to offer that to themselves first. And it's such a critical skill to develop. It's the thing that's actually going to get us through. Mm. I love how you've put that in such a clear way in terms of you can really see the tool and how it creates kind of almost this feedback loop of you need to try and then you need to have the experience to then become better at tolerating that courage and then all the bravery required and then you need to have that self-compassion like it's this wonderful tool. I was wondering for you what initially led you down this path of exploring things like bravery and self-compassion and and you know you were one of the first people in Australia to be a certified Brené Brown facilitator so how did this path start for you? Initially, at the very beginning of my career, I studied psychology and sociology as an undergrad at uni, and I did sociology as my honours year. But when I when I graduated, quite a long time ago now, um, Victoria, where I live, was in or Australia was sort of in the middle of the recession of a recession, and the idea of actually going and working in any kind of field related to that was just you know social services were being cut left, right, and centre. And around the same time was sort of when the internet so I existed pre-internet, was around when the internet started um, becoming a thing. And I, I, I got really fascinated. You know, one of, my, one of my strengths and also one of my downfalls, but one of my strengths mostly is my love of learning and being able to have access to information at my fingertips and connect with people all around the world just became really um it was just it was just where I wanted to be. It was what I wanted to do. I, I, I love I love looking at things that don't make sense or that haven't been figured out and working out how this could work and what are the potentials um, you know for this kind of technology. And I worked in startups in online startups for twenty years. Um, I was a digital strategist and was an educator. And then, you know, I think it was like eight years ago, I just had a massive, a really massive year. It was, it was actually 2012. So it was, you know, two leap year, two cycles of leap years ago and everything kind of just collided. I was working on this massive online retail project for a large Australian retailer, but we 
had no additional resources. So the workload was just huge. And so it was kind of this double whammy, lots of uh, big technology projects, working in the retail space, and then some really big, significant personal things were happening in the background um, in my family. And it was just kind of a collision. And it was about the same time, I think, that year that I actually watched Brene TED Talk, her first TED Talk, The Power of Vulnerability. And when I watched it, I went, that's it. That's everything that I know to be true from my experience in the world and in my work and in the workplace. It it makes sense in terms of the training and the um, the education that I'd had with psychology and sociology, but it gave me a language and a structure and a framework that I hadn't had before. And it just, everything kind of clicked into place. And I just knew it was almost like a coming back to myself it was almost like I I, I sort of say I I became kind of tantalized by the internet and all the um, (laughs) all the potential and the growth and the learning and the change and and all of that kind of stuff and yeah and so I, I basically left in 2013 pivoted my career, became a coach. Um, So what I was doing in-house for corporates, I was doing as a consultant for smaller business. And then there was the opportunity to become a certified facilitator. And I just, like, there was no rut in doing that. You know, everything was just like, my whole body just lit up because I just felt like I was really aligned with really meaningful, purposeful work um, and went for it. It's remarkable in so many ways because I think those moments are so few and far between where our body lights up and we you know return back to ourselves and and see something we so know to be true but I do want to ask you as, as you sort of said there was no rut in in pursuing that learning and pursuing that opportunity but I'm also interested because you have as you sort of pivoted you're quite dedicated to uncovering how other people pivot and how people take the leap and I guess from your own experiences but also the amazing people that you've interviewed both for your book and the series, uh, The Leap Stories. I was wondering, is it always seamless in that way? Is it always just, I know this to be true, I'm going to go for it? Or how do people kind of go through that leap when they, it is more rut-like? Yeah. Um, oh, it's a complete shit show. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Um, like I knew that that's actually what I wanted to do, but it wasn't something I could just turn over and do next month. Mm. Uh, you know, it took planning, it took saving money to go and do courses and re-accreditate, you know, to get accredited, accredited in um, in certain trainings. And the training that I did with Brene in 2016 was actually meant to happen halfway through 2015. Mm. And so, you know, there was delays and, um, and you know, and trying to figure out what to do in the in the interim of that um, meant kind of you know just keeping my feet on the ground and keep showing up to what I was doing right you know at that time, which was servicing small businesses, sharing what I knew, um, helping you know ha- helping them grow their own businesses, and yeah, and that so that resulted in just the interview series was really a, was really an anchor for me at that time because it helped me you know I was still working stuff out in terms of how to run a business I could I could talk go into other businesses and talk about digital marketing strategies and content strategies and social media and all of those kinds of things but I was still new to running a business for myself and so the the leap stories came out of wanting answers to questions that I had for myself and coming across people who had already made the leap, who were already ahead of me and asking them how they did it and what they knew about it. Because, you know, in hearing other people's stories, you feel less alone and it helps you find your own story. And 
and there's and there was tons of practical advice and you know common threads of what people did but then there was also great diversity and it sort of showed me that well there's actually no one right way there's probably a couple of grounding principles but you know everyone's actually just kind of making it up as they go along and it's a collision of what they knew and who they you know who they know and their their own expertise and sometimes it's fortunate events and sometimes it's you know the support that they have from from their own unique networks and so, you know, it was it, it was up and down. It wasn't a, a linear line as none of these things are. Um, it was, uh, you know, two steps forward, you know, five steps back, um, but just keep going. You had a, I guess, you know, I had that lighthouse on the horizon that was guiding me to where I wanted to go. It didn't mean that I sailed straight to it. It meant that, you know, I was kind of pulling up in all sorts of harbours and kind of getting stuck on shores and, you know, and all that sort of stuff in the process. Um, I just, you know, I probably said a lot, uh, yes, a lot to stuff at the beginning Mm -hmm. um, and I just got better at getting more discerning as, um, as I got more used to finding my groove. But I think, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to really do. And so I just, it was, it was very experimental. It was like, okay, we'll just see, just give it a go, give it a try. You know, you've been asked to do this, just say, try it on, see if it fits. If not, that's okay. Um, yeah, so some days there were ruts and some days there were routines and <laughs> and sometimes there were, you know, there was really big leaps. Yeah, I, I love that to, to know kind of looking back that it wasn't just this perfect plan that you, you've executed because it can look like that from the outside uh, when we sort of inspect people's trajectories, but there's so much wobbling. Oh God, yeah. But I'm wondering, do you think that you've arrived now at that lighthouse or what are you still experimenting with? I think life is just a series of lighthouses. <laughs> you know, after I did the training in 2016, the irony of that was I was certified to run Dare, Daring Greatly and Rising Strong public programs, but I was terrified to actually do it. And I actually only ended up running one public Rising Strong program and I had a massive headache at the end of that two days and I just was like, oh, my God, this is so hard. This is such a stretch. This is like way out of, you know, where I thought I was going to be. I'm not sure if I'm actually really up for this. And Mm -hmm. I was still using all of the learnings and um, the the content and the tools, but I was was doing that in different ways. Like I was still using it in my one-on-one coaching and some of the elements in some of my other bespoke programs that I'd put together. And so I sort of sat on it for quite a long time. And then when her book, Dare to Lead, came out in 2018, it was like, oh, my God, thank God, because she did leadership research and she positioned this work in the context of teams and leaders. And I was like, this is this this is actually what I was looking for and it's, you know, it's got additional evidence and additional research um, and, some, and some different tools. And so last year when when I then trained up in that, that's, that's when I really kind of took off and, and just really found my groove because I was talking to people in a way that, you know, really leveraged my experience and I really knew was going to be impactful for them in the first place in their teams and in their, in, in their, in their workplaces and their organisations, but knowing 100% that it was going to also um, 
impact them on how they would show up with their families and their loved ones as well. You know, and often we have this, um, we have greater expectations for how we show up at work than how we show up with our loved ones. And, you know, there's this more kind of legitimate idea that, well, you know, it, it makes sense if it's training or, you know, if it's if it's going to help me be better at work, then I'm more likely to invest time or money or effort um, into doing that. Um, the thing that I love about Dare to Lead is, yes, it does all of that, but it fundamentally gets you to look at who you are as a person, which all great daring leaders do. You know, it's it's a it's a transformation mm-hmm. that starts from you know inside. Mm-mm. Definitely, the lesson that I'm really enjoying about that is that it's sometimes fine and maybe encouraged to sit on things for a little while until something emerges that that resonates. As you sort of touched on there, you might be sort of more inclined to pursue or to meet expectations when they're related to the workplace or our professional lives but less inclined with our personal lives. I'm wondering how that's kind of coming about now, now that for many people it's their first time having to really meld those two together. Mm. So what are you discovering um, or what are you observing yeah, um, I think it, 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 we have to acknowledge that this is not normal. We're not in normal times. Mm-hmm. We this is this is hugely disruptive, and we have been knocked sideways. And new normals need to be established. Again, going back to Brene's work, she also just launched her podcast um, this week, and her first episode in the context of what we're all experiencing right right now was about um, just appreciating that we're all doing FFTs every day. So, you know, an FFT is doing something for the fucking first time. And so Mm -hmm. that idea that, look, this is a a global pandemic. None of us have lived through this. This is an FFT for all of us. Um, So let's just kind of take a collective big deep breath and give ourselves the grace in that. And how that then translates into each of us, depending on the context in which, you know, we're operating in is going to be different. I think, you know, it's, it's that paradox of being able to say, what are the things that can anchor me right now that, um, that I have control over, but also don't put so many expectations and pressure on myself that I have to do it perfectly, or you know that there are there are some things that are better to do than others. At the moment, we really need to just be able to say to ourselves, "This is this is an FFT for everybody that I know, for my business, for my family, for my clients, for my community, for me." And what's what's just the next right thing? Like, what's the next right thing for right now? Like, I don't have to have it all figured out because actually, no one actually has it all figured out right now. You know, there's so there's so many things that we're all struggling with for the first time, both good and bad, in all of it. And we just need to give ourselves grace to recognize this is not normal, and that's okay. And I don't know actually how I might feel, but I know that if I, as long as I keep connected and I keep talking with people and realizing that I'm not alone and I don't have to do this alone we're going to get through it you know we'll get through the other side and maybe we'll even establish um even you know better routines on the other side with you know more grateful hearts um you know that's not to diminish how freaking hard it is um for 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 so many of our community and at the same time I'm also seeing these incredible community responses um rising up out of that so you know, it's the paradox of just going, you know, this is this is all really hard and messy and I can also anchor in some things that keep me grounded in what I can control. And maybe that is a bit of, um, you know, a new routine and recognising that it, it, it has to be new. It's, you know, it, it's going to, we, we have to adapt. 
Yes, exactly. I'm just reminded of that Leonard Cohen, there's a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. Like There is that, definitely there's those elements of joy coming through. But I'm wondering what is grounding you, especially perhaps as a family? Is there anything helping you navigate the new normal? It's, it's really interesting. So one of the things that has been a gift of Brene's work is understanding what boundaries look like and what boundaries are. Mm-hmm. And boundaries are really just um, a description and an awareness of what's okay and what's not okay. And wherever you're experiencing any kind of resentment, it's normally an indication that there's a boundary issue that maybe you didn't even know that you had or maybe hadn't articulated. And so we have a very small house. We live in the inner city. So we have a a really, really small house that we all share. And so I sort of sat down with, you know, with the kids and said, okay, I think we need to write a list of you know, this like a daily checklist to make sure that we're that we're all getting up out of bed, that we're all having showers, that we're all brushing our teeth, that we're trying to, you know, move in some way um, really proactively for about half an hour. You know, we need to make sure that, you know, we keep the space clean and cluttered so we put stuff away. So all, you know, all of the things that I would probably just normally do to, just to kind of pick up the slack, it's like, no, I, I'm not going to be the one that carries all of this while we're here and this is probably a good opportunity to sit down and have a bit of a almost like a family meeting and setting expectations that are kind of realistic and not beating up ourselves up if we don't meet them all the time but just getting clear and articulate you know what what are our boundaries for each other here's mine what is your what are yours you know what does that look like for you as well um and so the things that are probably grounding me right now is you know things is you know putting those things on the list if I can do I don't know maybe four of those things out of the list every day then that's that's good enough you know it's and I think it's that recognizing that we need to be able to communicate what our needs are um, and have grace and patience and realize that it's not always going to go well that you know tempers are going to fray and conversations are going to be hard but that you know that we're actually all in all in it together and take a breath yeah so for us we we, we drew up kind of a daily checklist of um, as a guiding light and then a weekly checklist and yeah, and that's that's kind of where where we're at right now. Oh, I love that approach. The guide is there, but you that reminder not to beat yourself up if not everything gets done on the checklist. It's like that that quote from Brené Brown herself where it's like no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. Yeah. And I I've, I've been thinking a lot about enough during this time because for some people there's more time available. There's there's no longer the commute. There's no longer the conversations at the water cooler or the meetings or the there is more time. And it, I think we're so trained to fill time that we get or do more or to optimize. And I'm just wondering where you think that pressure might come from or how you're navigating that, not just now, but always that, that pressure to be doing. I, I think you've really got to a, a nerve of what a lot of people are experiencing right now because you know i think in the in the lead up to this this it was this idea of oh so if you do now have all this spare time you can learn a new language and you can you know develop that new scientific theorem that's going to change the world you know like there was all these kind of memes going around around how you know people in lockdown and quarantine throughout the ages have you know come up with these life changing um you know creative outputs and it was so it was sort of you know going into it was like oh right okay so you know i'm going to have all this time so what should 
I do with it, you know, and then anytime you mm. hear that should that kind of appears in your head, that's a that's a flag. It's it's actually taken me a long time. You know, I talked about in 2012 when I was having that really tough year and I watched Brene's TED Talk. The other thing I did was read this other book called The Powerful Engagement by Jim Lower and Tony Schwartz. And in that book, he talked, they talked about four energies. They talked about, you know, your mental energy, your emotional energy, your spiritual energy and your physical energy. And, you know, and, they, and they'd studied high-performance athletes and athletic teams and, you know, what they realised is that people have on-seasons and people have off-seasons. So, like, if you think about, I don't know, just Melbourne example, AFL teams, you know, the, the AFL season doesn't run all year long. They have an off-season over summer where they rest and recover and recoup and rethink and re-strategize and reflect. They do all of that sort of stuff and then they come back and they're ready for a season to go. And then even when they're training, like a weekly training schedule, it won't be the same every day. They'll have intense training days and they'll have recovery days. Um, and they even studied people like, um, you know, professional tennis players who even even took the time between playing points as a rest, recovery and reset point. And that revolutionised my thinking because I was, you know, I was somebody who grew up thinking rest is for the week. And, you know, there is so much opportunity, especially growing up in digital culture, you know, in my career was like, you know, you need to, you need to be hustling and you, you know, you've got all this time, there's no barriers to entry to anything now. So you really need to just be in there and, you know, people who, you, you know, that horrible meme that says, you know, you work for five years doing things that people wouldn't do so you can have, you know, I don't know, what is it, 20 years of the life you want or some kind of crappy kind of <laughs> meme like that. And so that kind of relentless kind of culture is something that mm. um, that I really had to kind of back off with and I could feel myself and with these memes going around saying, oh, you know, this is a break, you know, think of all the things that you could be doing to fill it up. I was like, whoa, you know, and I was probably about a week in, into this that I've gone, okay, you really need to unplug from all of that and just come back to you and what feels right for you and start taking care of your lane and coming back to serving your community right now. What does that look like for you in a way that feels sustainable for you? And for whatever you're thinking might feel sustainable, you probably need to even halve that because mm. the energy that's just going into having to make new decisions every day around do I have enough food, should I be going to the shops, um, you know, what are the restrictions saying now? Like I was talking with my best friend this morning and we were saying this kind of hypervigilance that we're all now in is very anxiety-provoking and it's exhausting. And, you know, all the normal things that we would think about, that we wouldn't even think about, we wouldn't even, you know, it's just an autopilot because we can just, we just know we'll just go to the shops and get that and, you know, and and I'll just go and grab my coffee from my favourite people and, you know, I'll, all of that is now off the table and cognitively the load that we now have to deal with to be making all these new decisions is really significant. And so really honouring that and um, recognising that, you know, just doing the best we can doesn't mean filling up every moment of our day. It means being able to allow ourselves to just, 
you know, have some white space in there to kind of figure it, figure out, you know, I've been having massive troubles of actually being able to even think straight. You know, I feel like I'm just jumping from one thing to another. I'm in my inbox. I'm checking all those emails. I'm on social media trying to provide stuff. And, and I just thought this is getting me nowhere. Like if there really is a moment here to create something new, I've got this blank calendar, uh, you know, the way that I'm going, I'm just going to burn through all of my, you know, cognitive energy and just dealing with all this little all these little kind of stuff that's appearing um so I've kind of got enough in place like my you know my exercise people are live streaming and you know um we've got coffee at home and there's there's plenty of food plenty of toilet paper um I don't need to be worrying about that so take a breath and come back to yourself and just not let all the shoulds and just because I can, I should do that or wouldn't it be good if I did that, not let that necessarily take hold because that is going to exhaust us. And, you know, I think this isn't just about a couple of weeks. I think we need to be thinking about this for a bit of a longer term and what's going to sustain us through that. Exactly. And so I think we can't sort of just push and shove and thrash about at the beginning because we're going to become so overloaded, as you mentioned, with kind of how taxing these new decisions we have to make in our day can be. Um, It is a lot to take on psychically. I'm very much in the same boat. I've just found the last few days, it's just the the few deadlines I have left are very hard to concentrate on. Mm. I feel this immense pressure, especially given even just the theme of this podcast. It's like routines and ruts, but I just have to kind of resist trying to optimize this moment or to to make the most of it and just sort of be. But I do want to ask you because I'm always quite impressed by how you show up. So even now you're sharing some really great resources for people and and you're always very informative and particularly it was noted earlier in the year with the bushfire crisis and how you were sharing not only information but you also rallied a lot of people together to put together an auction to raise funds for the bushfire relief. I'm wondering, like, when you're feeling internally chaotic, how do you still show up? Mm. I think one of the things that really helped with that was recognising that it was a moment in time and that I had a really unique opportunity because I was on school holidays with the kids when that all happened. And um, I birthed that idea while we were away down the coast. And my family were all sleeping in in the mornings and staying up late and and which was lovely that's exactly what holidays should be but i'm not someone who actually likes to sleep in and so i'd find myself kind of just at a loss in the mornings and i just thought you know i've got this idea i've got this opportunity um i go back to work like i go back to work in terms of you know commitments that i've already got in 2 weeks what does it look like to just focus on something for this two weeks right now um, in a way that's really manageable and sustainable for what's going on with my family um, and that also actually gives me energy because I think for me just sitting and watching, you know, the the disasters that were unfolding and I, I don't know anybody in Australia that didn't know someone or wasn't directly affected by those fires in some way. and. Mm. I think it was actually a coping mechanism, to be honest. And so it was actually, it was recognising that I had a short period of time. I had a window of two weeks to pull it off. I had kind of the means to do it without it being too disruptive. 
it would actually give me energy to feel like I was contributing and to be part of something where people like me also recognised that it was important and that, that and it actually gave them the opportunity to contribute in a way that made sense for them as well. Um, but, you know, I, re- I had really hard deadlines on that, you know, and if I'd had more time to, to to prepare and lead up and give more people more notice and um, and do and maybe even do more marketing and all of that kind of stuff, I, you know, maybe I could have raised more money. But it was right. But I just got to. It's just enough. Like it just has to be. This is the amount of this is the amount of time and energy that I can give to it right now. Wherever this lands, that's going to have to just be enough, and I'm going to have to be okay with that. And it's better than doing nothing. There's so many lessons there. I know that was applied to a, a crisis, but. Even just this idea of, you know, you need the deadline to get something done, you need the squeeze, but also this idea of done is so often better than perfect. A hundred percent. You know, and there are so many opportunities and we talk about this actually in the Dare to Lead workshop when, when you know, that comparison and scarcity come to play, mm-hmm. um, that's when we start playing small. That's when we keep ourselves you know, silent and not putting our work out in the world. And one of the things I had to learn probably about, was probably about two years into my business, was to really, and this is a hard lesson and I, and I, I even feel shame in saying this, but I really had to, to disengage and not follow, like unfollow people who I felt really triggered by that were either they were doing things that were very close to what I was doing or they were operating in the same kind of ways that I was operating in. And and I, every time I saw what they were doing, I would just feel sick. Like I would have a really mm-hmm. visceral, strong physical reaction to it and it just didn't make me feel good. And it wasn't because I resented them or I held anything against them or anything like that. It was just like I just didn't want to put myself through that. And the more I came to understand is if I can stay in my lane in terms of just recognising that what I bring is unique just as what everybody else brings unique there's no other Madeline there's no other Kylie um and recognize that that's enough then then I can that that kind of gives me the permission to just put my stuff out in the world and recognizing that Mm. I don't have to be everything for everyone I don't have to be you know the the life-changing coach for anybody who comes my way um what I have to bring is unique and it'll be, yeah, it'll it'll suit some people rather than others and that's completely fine. But, you know, that mm-hmm. takes work to get there um, because otherwise you do just f- constantly find yourself hustling. You kind of have these um, relentless standards and you keep yourself back from putting out your things in the world that, you know, people really need to hear. Oh, I could actually feel it in my stomach when you're describing that feeling. You just It's almost a very protective act to just do the unfollow um, so you can just focus on the work that's in front of you for you. Then when it's time to do the work, um, are you someone who's quite good at then just taking action? Do you procrastinate? Do you feel distracted? Do you dilly-dally? Does it change? Like how are you, I guess, back to this idea of routines and working? How do you find focus and flow? My God, all of the above, like in terms of what happens in that process, in that creative process. What I've come to learn about myself is that when I am procrastinating, um, it's normally because I'm overthinking something and the only way for me to get through it is to just do, just get a small win in the right direction. Mm. 
Um, and that might mean talking about the idea with someone, like actually saying it out loud. It might mean putting in a deadline that makes me accountable. You know, if you get stuck, phone a friend, <laughs> get somebody that will help you, their compassionate friend that will be in the arena with you. And that's why your side project sessions are so great for that because they, you know, they, they absolutely make people feel less alone and, and help put some of that accountability um, and recognise that, yeah, it's going to feel really awkward and um, vulnerable and that's what bravery looks like. Mm, yes. Oh, that's so well said. And every time I start something, even now, it takes months and months and months it, there, there's that metaphorical file that they're all sitting in, yeah. the ideas and the experiments, and until there's sort of this this tension point. And I think it comes back beautifully to this idea of self-compassion about, you know, really making it about the learning and about just helping maybe one person resonates and maybe that one person is you. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think it's almost a lovely sign when you're sitting on something. It's actually it means that the project is meaningful in some ways. It, it's um, It's something that to explore. So I kind of I kind of have a lot of respect for procrastination. <laughs> so speaking of honoring those moving parts of the creative process, what would be your advice to someone on how to have compassion as we navigate the ebb and flow of our days right now? Well, I think the context of which we're speaking in is is really telling. You know, I think we're doing our best to try and hold on to a routine. We know that it's important for us to have a routine. I think we're in the middle of redefining what routine looks for us looks like for us right now and recognizing that experiencing ruts are completely part of that process we are in the great unknown for you know for a little while and so routines are going to you know I think I I have a sort of a sense that as soon as we get our finger on a routine and what it might look like we're going to need to kind of adapt it or move or shift or be agile with it anyway Mm, I think that's all we do anyway I haven't really ever met someone who has had it all in place the whole time. Mm, I think you're right, yeah. I mean, you know, I probably get it right about mm, 60 to 70% of the time maybe, Mm. you know, in terms of like am I exercising enough, am I um, eating well, am I getting enough sleep, Um, am I, you know, tending to the connectedness of my family, Um, all of that kind of stuff, you know, and that's part of the self-compassion thing. It's like, I'm not shooting for perfection here. I'm just I'm shooting for good enough and for being in the moment of it and not and not being an anxious mess in the middle of it all. <laughs> I hope that you were able to be as inspired and comforted by Kylie Lewis as I was and really note how crucial it is to find your own measure of what is enough, of sufficiency and allow that to change. What I really took away from Kylie is how powerful it can be to stay in our own lane and to focus on our own work and how to really recognize that what we offer is unique. It is enough without needing to compare or change. We go a bit further into this and how to handle your inner critic in an exclusive snippet I have saved for the newsletter I mentioned, a Routines and Ruts Companion. I'll be launching this newsletter on the 1st of May and if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off, so $5 a month instead of 10 There's a link in the show notes if you're interested in hearing more from my guests as well as accessing things like transcripts, quotes, an advice column from me and much more. It will also help me to continue to share these conversations with you, so it's wonderful to receive your support and provide even more insights and reflections. I've been bursting to share. As Carly Lewis reminds us, and it's so important to keep remembering, is that we're not alone in 
our stumbles or in our comparisons or in our procrastination. It can be really nice to have a companion and so I hope I can be that for you too. If this episode sparked ideas or maybe provided comfort, I'd love it if you maybe shared it with a friend who might also enjoy it or even take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. I'll pop a little link in the bottom of the show notes so you can find that easily from whichever platform you're listening from. I'm Madeline Dore, and if you'd like to stay in the loop with my passion projects and writing, you can find me at extraordinary underscore routines on Instagram, or you can even sign up to my free newsletter at extraordinaryroutines.com, where you'll also be able to peruse an archive of interviews, musings, and life experiments from the last five years. Thanks again for listening to Routines and Ruts. And remember to celebrate the process as much as the outcome, the ebb as much as the flow, the ordinary as much as the extraordinary. Thank you.